Hey there, I'm Scott, and this is Tangents. I, um, today, I, th I think the thing that I want to talk the most about, and I have some various things, I'm going to try to not touch politics directly, but I want to talk about something that I think kind of goes, uh, well, actually two things that sort of weave into the current political situation and uh, really, I think, kind of explain part of where we are, why it's hard to get out of this place, and why I still think in the long run we will. Um, I, I do think, you know, I'm, my general stance on almost everything is a certain level of cautious optimism, which is not to say that I'm thinking, you know, like things will be great tomorrow by any means. I think there will be a lot of needless suffering. A lot of people um, will die for no reason and in a way that's completely preventable. But I do think in a decade or two, we'll be in a much better place. Um, I, I think that's, and that's not even that far out. Um, I, I do think also, like, obviously climate change is a very big concern. It's something that... Uh, it's another one of these things, and I think this is the real analogy with the current pandemic, uh, and it's the thing that, I can't say it's been encouraging, uh, but you look at this sort of slow-moving problem where there are very simple, kind of straightforward things that we could do collectively to avoid a very bad outcome, um, and yet we're not. And, you know, it, I'm in Arizona. At this stage, I'm recording this on May 20th, and today Arizona has reopened by and large. Um, not fully, people are still cautious, but if you look at restaurants, there are a lot of places where people are just there. Um, they're not making any attempt either at social distancing uh, or, nor you know, like wearing masks and such. Um, the increases, e even in the places that I've been going where they've been doing a decent job of improving aseptic technique and this kind of stuff, uh, like I, the coffee shop that I go to every day, I, I was there today, they've been very good with masks and all of this, and, uh, and yet today I did notice that uh, the people behind the counter were doing a lot of like touching their face, manipulating their mask, a lot of things that... Uh, they're not quite defeating the purpose of the mask, but I think there's an air of uh, people not taking this very seriously. And I totally understand it because it's one of these things where it's so slow moving and the stuff that you do is so disconnected from the ultimate consequence that it's very easy to imagine it doesn't matter. Yeah, and, and things also at the moment, I mean, you know, we don't even have two million cases in the US. A lot of people, and this is one of these things where you have large absolute numbers, a couple million people is a lot. A um, hundred thousand people dead in the US. Not quite there, but approaching it. It's a lot of people. And I'm not trying to make that sound like nothing or to dismiss it, but you also have to put it into perspective that we have a population of 330 million. So two million people is less than 1% of the population. 
And when you think about that, I mean, less than 1%, in, in absolute terms, it may be a big number, but in terms of proportion, it's very small. And what's scary about that is that this is a, uh, this is a disease that could easily ravage, in fairly short order, um, the bulk of our population. Now, that's not to say that it's going to kill um, 50 million people, but you could imagine... Imagine the mortality rate was even just 1%. And, you know, it's, there's good reason to think that it's significantly higher than that. But just to be optimistic, imagine that. Imagine people don't socially distance. They don't do all of the basic protection that we need. And you get to a stage where, um, like, for example, the, the number of daily cases in the U.S. is high. Still, it hasn't gone down that much in Arizona it's it's not gone to, to zero or you know single or double digits it's still pretty significant which means there are a lot of people out there and opportunities to spread it which means we could be okay with social distancing and with aseptic technique and just a little a little bit of caution but there's a path at least where we're not and that kind of explodes and if you did get, say, instead of a couple million people infected, you get 100 million people infected, 1% uh, of 100 million is a million people. That's a shit ton of dead people. I mean, and again, that's probably optimistic in terms of mortality rate, hopefully pessimistic in terms of the number of people who will get it. But if we're not doing anything, then it may not be. Um, this is something that could spread pretty badly. Um, I do think, you know, there, there's reason to think that people are trying to be a little bit more cautious. Um, so it's not hopefully that bad. And hopefully before it gets there, people will kind of go, oh shit, and uh, start taking things more seriously. But it's, uh, it's not, it's not great. And so the thing that I wanted to talk about, uh, and actually it's, it's a couple of threads, but they sort of weave together which I guess is typical for this. One of them is, it's gonna sound disconnected, but pretty much everything is impossible until it's trivial. Now, there are things that are legitimately just easy or kind of intermediate, but for the most part, uh, the, the analogy I always go to is tying your shoes. Tying your shoes, when you first learn how to do it, um, I, I, maybe you are, very good at that and you just did it once on the first try and nailed it. For me, it was a struggle. Now, I'm not saying it was like an insurmountable problem, but it definitely was not trivial. It was something that took some time and some effort to learn. I'm not quite saying, you know, like it's uh, climbing Mount Everest, but it, it's a challenge. And at one point in time, could not do it. Today, I don't even have to think about it. I don't even have to look. I just, uh, it's automatic. It's trivial today. Um, this goes to pretty much everything in life, I think, which is like if you look at um, the, anything that's a real challenge, anything that really, um, anything that you that I've worked on in my life that seems impossible, seems like how could you possibly do that? Um, even the things where I kind of have gone in naively thinking they were going to be much easier than they ended up being. And then you find out, oh, yeah, this is actually a really hard problem. 
it's true that it's a hard problem, but if you keep chipping away at it, if you keep working on it, you get through, and then once you've done it, once you've gone through the work, it actually isn't that hard in retrospect. It's, it's the weirdest thing, actually, and part of this is, I guess, human perception, but I, I think a lot about like my PhD, for example. Uh, when I went through, you know, I was a student, and then I was doing research, and there's a point, and I've mentioned this before, but there's a point where you're in the PhD course of study, you're doing your research, and especially in, in the European model of a PhD, at least it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's more cookbook. You kind of know definitively, I'm going to spend this much time, and then I will graduate, and I will have a doctorate. In the U.S., and this varies from field to field, but for physics, for example, and the fields that I've been in, the way that it works is you kind of have an open, unbounded period where you're doing your research, and then at a certain point you're writing your dissertation, and then you have to defend it, and then uh, there's some other stuff that goes on, but then basically you become a doctor, uh, but not the airport, airplane doctor. So you go through this, and for a very long time, it just seemed like it was never going to happen. It seemed like yeah, this is just hopeless. And I, I've said this before, but I do think based on my own experience and based on people that I've kind of observed, there's almost a point where you start feeling like, uh, I'm just going to quit. You know, you're seriously considering quitting. You start thinking about the sunk costs fallacy and all of this. And, you know, like, am I an idiot for pressing on? And I'm not certain that you're not. But... At a certain point also, if you keep pushing on, you get through that. And this, this is one of the reasons, you know, when I, when I see people who are permanently ABD, all but dissertation, all but done, uh, they put PhD, ABD by their names, um, I have very significant misgivings about that. Mainly because, to me, I think the, the value of the PhD, I mean, there are a lot of things in it. You certainly have completed the coursework, you've understood, hopefully, the current state of the art of the field that you're studying. And then you've pushed the envelope a little bit in, in that field. And you've also gone through the hoops that it takes, convincing your advisor you're ready, convincing your committee that you're ready, going through the defense. Um, you know, I mean, just putting together the dissertation Again, one of the harder things that I've done, in retrospect, doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You know, it's like writing, I, I don't even think mine was a couple hundred pages. Uh, at most it was, but it was, you know, it was not like a 500 page tome. Um, writing that was a challenge, a very significant challenge for me. Could probably go back and do it, although, to be honest, my research at, the, at this point is kind of, I'm not going to say it's fuzzy, but uh, I'd have to refresh before I could write about it. Uh, it's, it's funny that that was such a big part of my life at one point, and now, uh, depressingly, over a decade later, it's just, you know, so far in the rear view, I remember it, but it's like, it's almost like it was someone else doing it. You know, not quite, but almost. And uh, it's, it's, it's funny also, like, how big of a problem it was, how insurmountable it seemed. And then you do it and you're done and you're like, wow, that wasn't that big of a deal. Um, 
it's it's I, I think this is partially I mean sure it's adaptive but it's it's kind of a flaw in our perception in that whatever the current situation is and can't speak for everybody but I think this is probably generally true for me whatever my current situation is seems like it's permanent uh, much more so than um, yeah and, and I'm aware that it's not but it always see, it always feels that way if I'm healthy I, I can remember being sick but it doesn't seem real in the same sense if I'm sick being healthy seems even if I'm sick for just a couple of days being healthy seems almost like an unobtainable dream it just seems like you're gonna continue that forever I think this is one of the reasons why people have so much trouble with the quarantine and with social distancing because you know even if it's a couple years a couple years is a blink in retrospect um, on a ge I, I always go to the geological time scale um, not even a blink just instantaneous practically but even on a human time scale as big of a deal as it seems in the moment after you go through that you look back and you're like that wasn't really that bad it, it's kind of it's almost troubling I, I suspect that uh, even people who've gone to prison and been in very dire situations uh, they look back and they certainly are aware that it was very terrible but it also seems like not as bad as it was in the moment um, in a weird way I, 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 I assume that part of that is also that if you could always put yourself back in that horrible situation um, going on would be difficult whereas if you kind of think this is this is my current situation I understand this I act accordingly you don't necessarily have to see what's happening a week out um, and, and for most of our history it didn't matter you there are very few things in terms of human evolution where doing something today and consistently for days or weeks or months or years actually impacted your survivability um, if there were there would have been selective more selective pressure to encourage us to think that way but there wasn't even to the extent that those things existed not enough to really push us that way and so we find ourselves today in a situation where people feel like this is going on forever you know I mean it's been a couple months um, I'm not saying it's easy but truly not that big of a deal and I understand yes um, somebody had a, a nice analogy this is this is not by any means original even for this person but you know I've seen it before but I, li I liked it because it kind of captured the reality of the situation which is we're all in the same storm but not in the same boat and the thing that's nice about that uh, that I really like is that you know I, I don't want to be overly dismissive and say like this is not that big of a deal because to me not that big of a deal um, to some people obviously very devastating I mean in terms of like my business for example um, I, I, I feel bad about this and weird but I've said before my business is actually going well um, things are on a trajectory now in in several different fronts that just seems so much better than where they were and I, it's not like in response to uh, to this pandemic but situations seem to have uh, sort of evolved to a point where it's working for me um, and I feel 
I feel good about that personally and like selfishly, but then you look at other people and you think like 30 million Americans filing for unemployment. Um, and then when they get that, if they get that, it's, it's a pittance. And then even if they get that pittance, they have people complaining that now they're making more on unemployment than they were when they were getting paid, uh, which they use as a sort of negative ding against the unemployment. But I think the reality is that's a ding against how little they were being paid. Um, and, and it's also, I mean, it's kind of a truism that everything from a distance looks very simple. And also in the perspective of time, when you're looking back at it, looks simple. When you're looking forward to it, looks relatively simple or insurmountable, but yeah. Uh, which is a form of, insurmountable is actually in, in a way conceptually easier. It's, it's simple. You can understand. You can't do it. It's just impossible. Um, understanding that, yeah, you can do it, but it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to take many, many years. It's going to be disheartening and you're going to not get it overnight. And you might not even see directly the results of the stuff that you're doing. Um, the sort of reality of the situation. It's harder to, it's, it's a much more complicated concept to really fully grasp. And I think that's part of why, uh, yeah, I, I often think of uh, the Churchill quote. Um, we're not, th this is actually what I thought, uh, I don't know, 2017 or 18 really came to me about Trump. Um, this is not the end. This is not the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. And I think, I think it captures actually a lot about what I'm talking about here, which is, you know, if you were in that position, um, you have this huge war ahead that you're kind of already in the thick of, um, but it's, it's hard to conceive, even though that might be a chapter in a history book, might be fairly short to just conceptualize, when you're in the thick of it, to actually understand the full scale and scope is just overwhelming. Um, the number of people who are going to die, the number of people who are going to be out in the field and just suffer and sit in the trenches and all of this kind of stuff, even if they survive, how miserable that is. Uh, the number of people in the camps, all of these things, you just, you almost can't wrap your mind around it. And then when it's over, not that big of a deal. It's, you know, like a, a little bit of history. In fact, depressingly, it's a bit of history that a lot of people are forgetting or not, uh, not passing on. Um, it, it, yeah, and that's a whole other topic, but um, there are still survivors uh, from the Holocaust. And yet, when you look at the statistics of how much people know about it, uh, how informed people are about, I'm not going to say it's recent history, but to me, it's pretty recent history. Um, you know, a century ago or approaching. And then you think, yeah. Yeah, people have forgotten. People have already, I mean, the, the first clue of people forgetting for me, I mean, there were other things, but the thing that really made me worry about this was when 9-11 happened, um, I started hearing a lot of people say, never forget. And I'm not saying that never forget is owned by survivors, but to me, it's always, Never forget has always meant never forget the Holocaust. And 
when you start seeing people talking about this, and again, this is, this is one of those things, 3,000 people dying, it's a big deal. Uh, a lot of property damage, it's a big deal. But in terms of absolute, even absolute numbers, 3,000 people versus over a million, say, Iraqi civilians that died because of the things that we did because of those 3,000, not quite the same thing. Uh, 3,000 versus millions who died in the Holocaust, not remotely the same thing. And you know, I'm not disparaging that. I'm not saying 3,000 people. You know, I'm not. I'm not thumbing my nose or disrespecting them or their relatives or friends. But those 3,000 people dying, you know, compared to things that happen every day that are much more preventable, uh, are very insignificant. In in a, like, if you put this into perspective, obviously, if you know someone, every death is significant. But when you have 3,000 people dying from something that truly, and I think this is part of the thing that uh, messed with a lot of people's minds with that event, you feel in your normal life uh, kind of impervious. I think a lot of people do. And when you see, oh, well, here are some dedicated people who didn't even do that, like the, the level of sophistication of the terrorists who executed 9-11 was not that great. I mean, they, they did some planning, they worked together, there was coordination. But what they did was not that great of a, of a challenge. It was not that great of a thing that, I mean, the real reason they were even able to do it, I think fundamentally in the way that they did is just that people didn't conceive of it. They, it, which is crazy because it's in retrospect an obvious and easy thing to think of, but it just never occurred to so many people. And you know, when you think of that and you're like, oh, I could just be at work and then something horrible could happen. Um, I, I think this is part of why that resonates so much with people and it devastated so many people so much because they had an illusion that they were kind of impervious and then that brought it into stark relief and shattered that illusion. Um, which, which I think also like there's a danger of thinking that, um, you know, your risk of something like this, I mean, like school shootings, right? School shootings are terrible and tragic, um, I am highly opposed to guns just in concept. I don't like the idea of having a, uh, a point and click murder remote control. Um, it, you know, it seems archaic to me, honestly, which is not to say that they don't have a place, but their place is not really to fetishize them and to be like such a part of American life that there are more guns than people. And all of those guns you know, it, it's weird enough that there are more guns than people, but those guns are largely in the hands of a very small fraction of the population. So the people who have like one gun are already a smallish fraction, but the people who have like a hundred guns, you know, it's a tiny, tiny percentage of our population, but they're just obsessed with these things. And you see that and you're kind of like, yeah, you know, not a fan. But then you look at the numbers, like in terms of absolute numbers and risk, like relative risk for kids, um, dying in a school shooting, very small risk, horrible, tragic, should never happen, but it's a very low probability. And it's just a very dramatic kind of scary thing versus dying of say um, a vaccine preventable disease, which people will go out of their way not to get the vaccine for. Um, and then, you know, 
when when you when you look at the things, I mean, to me, I think this is a problem just in general that people don't understand relative risk. And when I say they don't understand it, I mean even if you kind of conceptually get it, there's something about the way that our brains are built that uh, we just don't quite get it. We don't feel it in the same way. Um, the the example that I would give here is I've I've taken through graduate level electromagnetic um, or electromagnetism. I kind of have some idea of how it works um, at, at even a relatively fundamental level. And yet to me, and I've played with magnets um, at various times in my whole life, and yet to me there's still something magical about putting two magnets together and feeling the force either attracting or repelling. There's something magical about putting a thing that has a magnetic coupling in it in place and it just like pulls into place and locks. Um, there's just, you can understand it at an intellectual level and still not quite feel it. And I think this is, this is really a, um, an issue kind of of human cognition. Um, I, th I think also like I, I, for the longest time, I still, I still have social anxiety, but much diminished from where it used to be. And for the longest time, you know, I, I would understand rationally there's no reason, no reason at all to be embarrassed, to be self-conscious. Um, there's just nothing, there's not, there's not a thing to be bothered by or frightened of. You understand that intellectually, but you don't feel it. And the difference between understanding it and feeling it, and even understanding it, is a leap that a lot of people haven't made. So this gets back to why it's so difficult um, I think for people to do decent aseptic technique because they don't feel, you know, things that you can't see to them are just not real. Even, even when you're trained to understand that they're there, they're not as real as the things that you can concretely touch and feel. Uh, it, it's, it's part of why I'm weirdly, despite having a background in virology and microbiology, much more comfortable dealing with very pathogenic bacteria or viruses than say hemolinths or you know like macroscopic parasites they freak me out they give me the willies um, viruses that are much more dangerous um, don't bother me as much I'm, I'm more comfortable with them and i think part of that is just that even though i understand the relative risk at least at a conceptual kind of intellectual level i don't feel it on a sort of animal level as much. Um, so in this sense, I'm not, I, I don't want to disparage the people who aren't social distancing or who aren't, um, who, who take 9-11 way out of proportion or who take school shootings way out of proportion. I mean, getting back to the, the handgun thing, it's, it's a topic I try to avoid actually because it's such a hot button topic. And then when you start looking at it, the statistics are not great in terms of like uh, the, the number of people who die from school shootings. Uh, again, absolute numbers, significant. Uh, but the tragedy of it is you know, proportionally very small compared to say, the number of people who get killed um, you know, th just with handguns um, through other criminal activity. Or you know, it's, not as, it's not as dramatic 
and it kind of doesn't feel as real as kids being in a basically a war zone but it's a it's a thing that you have to kind of put into perspective the number of people who die of from suicides with hand, i mean this is one of the problems with discussing gun violence that a lot of the gun violence is self-inflicted wounds and then you have um, it, it opens up a can of worms because you start talking about that and you're like well if you take suicides out then um, guns are and I don't know. It, it, it's a frustrating topic. I've, I've largely left because it's so hard to have a rational discussion with people. Uh, when you you talk to the people who are homosexuals, and uh, and I say that as disparagingly as possible, um, you you talk to the people who love guns, love guns. Um, they're just totally irrational about the subject by and large. I do know people who are reasonable, but they're unfortunately the minority uh, and then you talk to the people who hate guns and they're totally irrational about it you can't even get good statistics on this stuff uh, or well to be fair you can but it's really hard it's so the waters are so muddied if you do a, if you just do a google search um, whatever you see will be basically biased toward your preference because Google is really good at knowing what you like and it shows you what you want to see, uh, which is one of the tragedies of this. It's like, uh, it's like this horrible postmodern thing where the, there's just like pick your own reality kind of thing. Um, these algorithms that people have built aren't optimizing for showing you something that is, you know, you can't necessarily know objectively the ground truth but they're not optimizing for showing what we know to be true so much as they are optimizing to show you what you want to see um, and more of the same. And it's not, it's not putting us in a good position. Um, I, do, I do kind of hope that while this is a horrible thing in the moment, it's something that over time people will adapt to and it will improve, um, especially if we're working on it, but it's, it's not, in the, in the moment, it's very depressing to see that. It's very depressing to see how disconnected people are on, um, I mean, especially, I, I, I've largely been off of Facebook. Um, I'm still on Instagram, but Facebook, um, just the algorithmic things. I mean, the things with Zuckerberg are so terrible and the amount of money that he's making is so ridiculous. It's depressing. But when you look at the things that... Um, that it does, the harm that it does, that it causes. Just showing people, I, I call it this algorithmic balkanization, but showing people only the things that they agree with and maybe occasionally letting in something where there's an extreme person that they disagree with that gets in, you know, penetrates those walls. And then that person is the example to show how crazy the other people are. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually a really, uh, in terms of, I'm sure many dissertations already have been written on it, but when this is kind of resolved itself, as I hope it will, um, people will look back and write a lot about it, I'm sure, and study it uh, quite extensively. So one of the things also, I mean, in terms of like everything seeming impossible until it's done, the current situation seems insurmountable. Um, the current situation, and, and I'd say this, like whether Trump or Biden wins, it's shitty. Um, obviously, yeah, 
Trump is worse, but Biden's not that much better. And the thing that bothers me about Biden is, um, that, and sorry, I can't not talk about politics. I, I guess this has all been about politics to some extent, just not directly so, but uh, gotta get back into this a little bit. Um, it's not that Biden is as bad or even, it's certainly not worse, but what Biden represents is exactly what got Trump into office in the first place. The things that I would criticize Biden for um, are precisely the things that, um, you know, like I, I go back to this whole thing about avoiding even the appearance of impropriety. Big thing for me. The Democrats not doing that, the Democrats being, you know, like so blatant, so brazen about whatever the situation is, first I'm going to see what the person's political leaning is, and then I'm going to decide whether it's good or bad. Um, the problem with that is that if you do that, then, you know, like if your principles depend on who has committed some infraction, then you have no principles. And once you have no principles, you really have no ground to stand on against someone with no principles. So when you look at, um, you know, Trump is insanely awful, but he's able to, with much more credibility than he should be able to, kind of sell this idea that everybody's doing it. You know, he is insanely corrupt. But there's an, the thing is, there's enough of a kernel of truth to everybody's doing it in the sense that there's a lot of corruption that he can say, no, everybody's doing it, I'm just doing it in, in the open. And people, especially people who are not paying that much attention, see that and take it to be true. Um, people see, yeah, and again, like, uh, I'm not even going to rehash the Hunter thing, but that, probably not a big deal, but it doesn't look good. And when you see stuff like this, and you could just go endlessly, like the, the Tara thing, um, did or didn't Biden do this? I gotta tell you, it seems very plausible to me. Um, I, I understand, yeah, I mean, the problem is that it seems plausible. The correct answer, I think, for anything like this, and I, I include Kavanaugh in this, is I don't know. And then you think, well, given the circumstance, given this, in my opinion, credible accusation in both cases, should this person be on the Supreme Court? Should this person be the president? Probably not. Um, yeah, it, it's not like you're convicting them. You're just not letting them have a extreme privilege uh, and be exalted and raised to a very high level. Um, but the problem is, and the, the thing is also here, it, it's, it's, you know, not to both sides this, but the Republicans are sitting there going, oh, well, you know, Trump is bad, but he's not that much worse than the Democrats. And now the Democrats are kind of going, well, Trump is so horrible that we can justify absolutely anything. And this is not a good path. This is something that um, inevitably, inevitably, you know, you can stretch things to a certain extent and they're stretched. But at a certain point, it's going to rip, you know? There's not, uh, you'll get past the elastic limit. You'll bend that metal too far and it will just permanently deform or it will break. Um, and when that happens, what happens next? I don't know. I'd, I'd like to think, hopefully there's a reset and we get back to something better, uh, but that's certainly not guaranteed. You know, there, there are many, many paths 
that we can take. I do cautiously, optimistically think that we're going to find our way, but it's not at all clear. And there are so many reasons to, to worry. Um, it's, it's, it's troubling. So anyway, uh, the, the other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about, and it's, it's, it's sort of weird given how long I've already gone on, on this one, but um, it's, it's not just the everything is impossible until it's trivial thing. Because I do think, again, you know, like universal healthcare seems impossible. One day, I think we'll look back and it will seem trivial. Um, the, the, the frightening thing about that, of course, is NHS, uh, the national health system um, in the UK, very good system, seems like it'll always be there. The Tories have spent so much fucking time um, chiseling away at it and taking away the, the, the funding for it that it's, you know, being a doctor in the UK is now like being a teacher in Arizona, which is, you know, pretty fucking terrible. It, and, and both of these are fields, it, it should be a complete no-brainer to pay certain people well. And, and when you think about it, like in terms of public investments, giving money to teachers, you know, an adequate salary so they can live well, um, not necessarily be in like the most luxur luxurious situation, but to be comfortable um, and not to have to just suffer um, should be a no-brainer. To give that to doctors and other healthcare workers who you depend on to live and to live well and to have other people not be sick who could get you sick or who could cost the society a lot of money because they haven't taken care of things that could have been dealt with early on and end up becoming a much bigger deal because they haven't been addressed. When you start looking at these things, I mean, you know, it's, it's just, it should be a no-brainer. And yet, both of these things are so hard at this moment. So I do think that is, you know, it's optimistic, but you also have to worry, like uh, the, the other side of the coin is, you have something great, democracy exists, uh, NHS exists, doesn't necessarily mean that it always will. There's no, you know, that humans, can push things towards justice. But the arc of the universe by itself, absent us, is indifferent to it. It's not something that you know, bends one way or the other. It is bent by people. Um, there's, this is one of the things that drives me nuts about like looking at, um, say, McConnell and all of these other people. So many horrible people. Um, and I include, not to both sides this, but I include Pelosi in that. You look at how just, I'm just going to say horrible, these people are, the things they do, so pure selfish, or such pure selfishness, so much just bullshit and lying and deceit. And, and you look at that and then you think, these people are not going to face any consequences. Well, there's, the thing is, and I mean, maybe this is just part of me being a super non-religious person, if you're religious, you can think there's some kind of arbitrator of justice um, that is ultimately going to have, you know, like, oh, McConnell might live and do well, but eventually he's going to be judged in the next life. I, I, don't, I don't think that's a thing. I'm sorry. Uh, it, it's a nice fairy tale because it lets you feel like, oh, 
this is a horrible person, but they're going to get their comeuppance one day. Um, you can think about karma. Uh, karma, and, and to some extent, I think karma is a thing in the sense that people do see what you do. And if you're an asshole, then you do get paid back for it eventually. And if you're a good person, don't necessarily get paid back for it. But this, to some extent, you will occasionally. Um, definitely not to, yeah. If, if there are things where like people know you're a good person and then there's something that doesn't cost them anything, hopefully they lean a little bit more your way. Um, although there are a lot of depressing things about that. I don't think that that's, yeah. And I, I certainly don't think there's any kind of force in the universe that imposes karma. Um, although it's a nice thought again. It's, it's a nice fairy tale. But the justice that we can make can exist. There's no reason that the universe doesn't have to be much better than this. There's no reason that our government doesn't have to work better. There's no reason, it's not like it's intrinsically, inherently impossible for things to change. Um, I, I always look back, 100 years ago, women could not vote. It seemed impossible for them to get the vote. Today, not that big of a deal. Um, although a lot of them don't vote. It's great. 150 years ago, black men could not vote in the US. Today, yeah, it's, it's again, not that big of a deal. Although, also depressingly, um, so many people, you know, I, I mean, you just look at um, like cannabis laws. You know, so many people across the, across the board, roughly the same number of people use these drugs um, or use, use pot. And yet, if you're black, the, the ratio, depending on the statistics that you look at, are at least like twice as good that you will be arrested, that you will be charged and convicted of something. Um, and if you're convicted, you have a felony, now you're disenfranchised. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. You don't have the right to vote anymore um, in, in a lot of places. And in a lot of places, it's hard to even get it back. Um, an interesting thing, also the 13th Amendment, the amendment that air quotes ended slavery, um, if you read it, there's an interesting little piece in there that says, except, you know, slavery is abolished, except as a punishment for somebody who's convicted of a crime. So the 13th Amendment doesn't actually end slavery. And when you think about it, it's like, well, okay, so slavery is still a thing. And disproportionately, if you're black, you're much more likely to be arrested and convicted, which means, you know, do the math. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty fucked up. So changing that, again, possible, but it seems impossible. Uh, fixing things, I mean like gay marriage at one point in time seemed impossible. Today it seems completely normative. Uh, things can change and things can change quickly. We just need to make sure that we actually make them change. And I, I think this is one of the dangers. I see a lot of people who are very discouraged by the current situation, um, especially like Bernie uh, not being the nominee, and uh, although the nomination hasn't happened yet, but and basically as a fait accompli, Biden is going to get it. Um, Bernie is not, and you look at that, and it's very disheartening because you get that like you can almost taste it. You can imagine what it would be like, and it wouldn't have been easy if Bernie was the president, but at least it felt much more hopeful. 
and then you just get beaten down and you get beaten down again and again and again. And you have to remember, we're not at the end. We're not even at the beginning of the end, but we are at the end of the beginning. Um, I was going to talk about something else as well, but I think that feels like a nice place to, uh, to stop this. And uh, I will save that for the next one. So thank you very much for listening and uh, say Jen.